Sagemont Church is a gathering of Christian believers in the southeast area of Houston, Texas. Today's message is from our senior pastor, Dr. John Morgan. I'm entitling the message today, Experiencing God, Not Guilt. Now, if your Bible is in your hand, I want you to turn to Matthew 28, and I'm going to read to you one verse, the 20th verse. I want you to listen to something that is not profoundly deep, but it is powerfully simple and powerfully relevant. It is, if I can just in some way send you home today with one thought in your mind, it'll change your life forever. And I want you to listen very, very carefully. And I want you to ask the Lord, speak to me, Lord, What does all this mean to me? What are you trying to say to me? So if you would, out of respect to the scripture, stand, I want to read to you from the 28th chapter of Matthew, the 20th verse. You remember last week we talked about how Jesus had just come out of the grave. He gives his instructions. He says to them in verse 19, You go therefore and teach all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Son, the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Then I want you to look at something real, real special. Teaching them to observe all the things whatsoever I have commanded you. Now listen to this promise. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. Would you be seated? All of us have either said or heard someone else say that claims to be Christian. We've heard these words spoken by others or we have spoken them ourselves. Here is the sentence. I feel I am not as close to God as I used to be. I feel I'm not as close to God as I used to be. Now if you haven't said that, and I'm talking to my believer friends, if you haven't said that, you've heard somebody that claims to be a believer say that. that. Now I just want to say to you real quickly, that to say that as a believer, I feel I'm not as close to God as I once was, is horrible theology. Because the Lord said, I'm never leaving you and I'm never forsaking you. How can you be born again and I come to live in your life and you think for one moment that I am not with you? Wherever you go, I'm going with you. How could you even entertain a thought like that? There's only one way we could ever come up with that kind of a sentence, and that is that Satan has convinced us that God is with us when we're good and he's not with us when we're bad. But the truth of the matter is, Jesus said, I, in this scripture, he says that I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. But it ties in to what he said previously. And that is, 
Jesus being in you and you knowing he's in you is easy when you're doing what he told you to do and, and what he told me to do, and that is go make disciples. As long as you are busy making disciples, you will never doubt God's closeness in your life. But the minute you decide, I'm going back to the old way, I'm going to do what I feel like doing. How could it be wrong if it feels so good and everybody else is doing it? If you are a believer and you go out into that kind of a life, I can promise you the thought will hit you, I'm not as close to the God as I used to be. When you say that, it is horrifying to you. You see a lot of Christians that say they're Christians, they go to places and when the movie comes on or when the music starts and the liquor and drugs start flowing and morals become those of animals, no wonder a baptized, church-going, Bible-reading person might say, I just don't feel as close to God as I once did. Because you see, guilt has come in. Guilt. You feel guilty, and because you feel guilty, these things just begin to pile up on you. All of us want God's power through the Holy Spirit, but some of us don't realize why He gives His power to any of us at any time, or why He would ever want to come and live in our life. And there is a condition that we must uh, go through before God ever come to live in your life. And it's not being baptized. It is when you are crucified with Christ. Then you can live. Yet not I, the scripture says, but Christ now lives in me. There's a crucifixion to self, and God through the Holy Spirit comes to live in your life. Now, he comes for a purpose. Listen to Acts 1.8. But you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit is come upon you. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll receive power. All right, listen. You'll be witnesses unto me. If that has happened to you, you'll be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, do you notice a parallel? If you are committed, let's just look at a railroad track. If the rail on the left is committed to making disciples, the rail on the right, lo, I'm with you always, move parallel. But for whatever reason, and, and I am getting more and more cautious about just hearing people say, well, I prayed a prayer, and I got baptized. But did you repent? That means, did you turn around? Were you born again? If you were born again, then Christ lives in your life. If Christ lives in your life, well, one of the ways you can know it is you've, you've enjoyed your last sin. If you're a Bible-believing, praying, church-going person, and you enjoy living in sin, you have never been born again, I will guarantee you. You cannot do both. Either you're for me, the Lord says, or you're against me. And, and, but when you go and do that, guilt comes into your life and it begins to really cause you problems. Now you think about, go back to your Bible characters, Elijah. You remember Elijah, he called down fire out of heaven. What had preceded that? Well, they were going to find out who's the real God. 
There are 400 old backslidden religious preachers over there, and they were watching, and they just kind of had, okay, we're just going to see who's, who's worshiping the true God. And you remember, they got all this little fire and the wood together, and they tried to get this fire started and, and all this kind of thing, and, and they couldn't do anything. Elijah kind of mocked them a little bit, and, and uh, then he said, okay, you through? You can't get the fire going, all right? He said, step aside. And then he called for fire out of heaven. Let the fire fall. And the fire came out of heaven. It consumed the offering. And you know what the people said? The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Why did he ever do it to start with? To show that he knew something about fire they didn't know? No. He wanted them to see who the true God was. His motives were pure. How about in the, in the acts of Simon Peter? Simon Peter went about. He did things that, that uh, others would not do. He had all kinds of problems in the early days of his walk with God. And God allowed him to grow in the faith and ultimately let him preach one of the greatest sermons ever preached. 3,000 people saved one sermon. But everything he did, his desire was to glorify God and to make, and to make disciples. He wanted his fishing buddies to get saved. He wanted his friends to get saved. He wanted them to be born again. John, the crippled man, all these stories in the Bible, you get them in their context, and when you see those great, powerful miracles of healing, blind man to see, when you see those, there is a reason for it. The reason is not for the miracle itself that God can heal, but God is, is enforcing people testimony that are wanting to live for God and want their friends to see the Lord he is God that's when the miracle takes place it is possible that some of us are not experiencing God but we are experiencing guilt and that is the reason we're experiencing guilt our guilt has come because of our willful sinning and it is our willful sinning that, that makes us doubt the closeness of God. So, let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt guilty when you realize that you believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven? And except people repent, they will perish. And that people that are not born again, if they die in their sins having never experienced a new birth, will spend an eternity separated from God in the place the Bible calls hell, where there'll be an everlasting fire, where the worm dies not, the fire is not quenched. There will be a bottomless pit of utter darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing and teeth. If you ever came to that spot where you realized I believe all of that stuff that Jesus died, he buried, he rose again, he ascended to heaven, and one day he's coming back. And I believe all of that, preacher. But let me ask you a question. Then why haven't you told your very family that story? Who in the world would get you to say, I just don't talk about religious things around other people? Who ever put that thought in your mind? When Jesus said, I saved you so you'd go make disciples, who took those orders away from you and said, no, I saved you so you wouldn't talk about your faith? See, it's unimaginable. 
So when you don't talk about your faith and you find the way you're living and you find they have more influence on you than you do on them and you're out there with them, then you start feeling guilty. And after that guilt comes great doubt. We look into a mirror and we can honestly say to that person we see in that mirror, I don't believe the Bible or I'm the most unloving person on the earth. If I won't tell my best friend that Jesus loves them just as much as he loves me. And that Jesus died for them just like he died for me. But yet we don't. So I'm just asking you, do your actions in the light of what scripture uh, teaches us, do your actions reveal to you that maybe the reason I don't have any power financially, I don't have any power with my health, I don't have any power with my marriage, I don't have any power with my raising my family, I don't have any power anywhere. Could it be that the reason that you don't is because your motive is not to make disciples, but rather your motives are to get well or get rich or get happy or your kids to become the best kids in the neighborhood. But none of it's about making disciples. You see, we can go to church and we can hear a convicting sermon. And we can say, amen, praise the Lord, and all that kind of stuff. And even our heart gets broken. And we become very convicted of our sin. And even weep. And feel guilty. But we never, ever repent. Jesus comes into the lives of those that repent. And when you repent, then it's all about others. Go ye therefore to all the nations. And then I will be with you always. No, I just want it to stop right here. I just don't want to burn in hell. I just want to get well. I got a lot to live for. And I understand you're the great physician. Guilt is a good thing only, listen to me, if it leads to repentance. If it does not lead to repentance... It's wasting your time. And I want you to know that guilt and sorrow or brokenness kind of walk hand in hand. But repentance is a turning around. It is a turning around. And the closest some people, now listen to me, the closest some people ever get to ever getting saved and born again, and I know you think the preacher loves this when you tell him this, but I just want to tell you, I know one preacher that I don't, uh, I don't get, uh, really get blessed by it. But here's what you'll say to the preacher. Well, preacher, I heard you Sunday, and I just want you to know you really did step on my toes. Now, you've heard people say that. I've heard it a thousand times. Let me tell you, I'm not here to step on your toes. Me stepping on your toes, if that's all I do is step on your toes and you don't repent, you would just die and go to spend eternity without God with sore toes. That's as far as that get, all right? You see, whenever it gets real, it's when the brokenness and the guilt leads to repentance. And when you repent, Jesus comes into your life and there's a new purpose set out for your life. And that new job you've been trying to get because you never could hold down a job, now you got a job. Your job is to go make disciples and I will be with you wherever you go. And I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you. And while we're at it, I will supply your need according to my riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Boy, it gets exciting, I'm telling you. It gets real excited. The rich young ruler in the Bible, he came to the Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Notice that, what must I do that I might 
inherit eternal life. I've got a pretty good estate. My net worth's pretty nice, but I don't have any net worth in it. So how do what I do? The Lord said, one thing you like. What he liked was repentance. He had to turn from his worldly uh, way and trust the Lord. The Bible says he walked off. I want you to notice what happened when he walked off. Jesus didn't run around and say, hey, we need your tithe. You're a rich ruler. We need you in the White House. You know, he didn't do that. What he did was he let him go. Then there's another, another place where he talks to this little bitty short guy named Zacchaeus. He's up in a tree. And, uh, you know, he's a tax collector and he's up in a tree. And Jesus speaks to him. And he said, I'm going over your house today. And he jumped out of a tree. So excited because God said, I've got a plan for your life. And whoop, here he comes. Let's go home and talk about it. Changed his life. What's the difference? One continued to walk the same way. The other one repented. And his life was changed. It's time to trade, to trade our guilt and our sorrow from the joy of the Lord. That parallel track of sorrow and guilt that walk together is something that many try to walk on. That need to be traded in for the joy of the Lord. There's a song that was written, The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Listen to 2 Corinthians 7.10. It's a beautiful scripture. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. Just because we are crying and weeping does not mean we're repenting and discovering the joy of the Lord. Just because you feel guilty, if you don't repent, if your guilt doesn't lead you to repentance, if your sorrow doesn't lead you to repentance... It profits you nothing. That's what the scripture said. For godly sorrow worketh repentance. If it's godly sorrow you're going through, it will lead you to repentance. And with your repentance, then the Lord comes to live in your life. And lo, I'll be with you always, even until the end of the age. None of us can say, I don't have any regrets of the past. We all have regrets of the past. Nobody wants our life put on, on that screen up there. If somebody came to you, there used to be a program, uh, Ralph Edwards uh, was the MC. This is your life. Everybody jump up and down, you know, and he'd put that, tell the story. Most people said, don't tell it like it really is. Just get, pick out the good stuff. Tell folks the good stuff. One day, Joshua, a real hero of a lot of, a lot of folks, he said in the 24th chapter, here's what he said. Now, therefore, now listen to this, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in truth. Notice that. Now serve him in sincerity and truth. Put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it seems evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorite in whose lands you dwell. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And the people said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. God forbid. Could I suggest to you today that there are many today that have, without question, forsook the Lord and are serving other gods. It is so refreshing, folks, when you see people that have been walking in guilt or sorrow Get right with God, repent, and see what God does with their life. I want to tell you a story real quick.
Beth and I had a very, very good week. We had an opportunity to do something we hadn't done in a long time. But I preached in San Antonio uh, this year. And a man by the name of Joe Hutchison and his wife Kay were in the services and came to the Financial Freedom Seminar. And Joe Hutchison is the president of the San Antonio Livestock Show and Rodeo. He taught a Bible study class at the Castle Hills First Baptist Church for 18 years. He's a leader in the community. He contacted me after the week was over and said, I want you and Beth to come and be our guest in my president's box at the opening night of the San Antonio Rodeo. And uh, now as I go on with this story, I want you all to know this is not my first rodeo. Have you ever heard that? Okay. <laughs> this is not my first rodeo. All right. And so we get the plans and he mails us a VIP parking and I'll get to parking in uh, slot 153 and just step out right into the place you know all that good stuff you know and uh and we get to experience something that I haven't experienced in a long time brought back some old memories but it illustrates better than anything I can tell you what I'm trying to it, it illustrates better than anything I can say what I'm trying to tell you this morning Beth and I got out of the car we walked in and he got us on the telephone he said I'm on the way over to golf cart to pick you up then he carried us over he said now this uh, Kay his wife carried us into the exhibit hall as we went into the exhibit hall, he said, now y'all mill around here for about an hour. I've got to go do a television interview, and I'm going to pick you up. We're going to go up to, you know, for dinner. And so Beth and I walked in with Kay into this exhibit hall. There's probably 30, 40 booths in there, all this beautiful stuff. And, uh, of course, Beth and I are together, and, and, you know, she's looking, and all of a sudden she stops and she points, and she says, ask how much that pillow is up there. And his little cowhide pillow about like that. So I asked the lady, I said, what's the most you'll take for this? And I uh, kind of caught her off beat. And she said, well, we were, we're, they were $89, but the rodeo special is 59 So Beth asked me to get it down, so we got it down. And uh, then I thought I was pretty, doing pretty good. And then she looks over and says, I kind of like that one. It's about four down, too. You know, ask them about that one. So we end up with two pillows. I'm sitting there fixing to to uh, cash out, you know, and it's the first sale for the rodeo. So she said, I need to call my husband. And, and because I, I make sure I do this right, because this is, you know, it's our opening night. So I'm sitting there talking to her, and I turn around, and there's a man standing there. I had not seen this man in nine years. His name is Bob. Bob used to come to the Houston Rodeo uh, years ago and was the biggest exhibitor. If you've ever been to Houston Rodeo, he had almost an acre out there of of furniture and stuff, Western furniture. He'd come in with, he had eight 18-wheelers that he hauled his stuff in at the Houston Rodeo. And the last time I saw Bob, he called me aside, tears in his eyes, and he said, John, I got bad news the other day. He said, this is going to be my last rodeo. He said, I got stage four cancer. He said, I'm going to try to sell my 18-wheelers while I'm here. And uh, he said, it looks very, very serious. Well, at the rodeo in Houston, there's a group of Christians that are making disciples. Buddy Fortenberry is one of them. He heads up the transportation team there. And there's a group of Christians that know each other at the rodeo. Dan Biddy, pastor over here at Old River Baptist Church, he sharpens knives. He's a cowboy, sharpens knives. And he sharpens knives for the guys riding, the bulls and all that kind of stuff, for free. 
at every performance of the rodeo, backstage. Doesn't charge them anything. But he said, the meaner they are and the more they cuss, the longer it takes me to sharpen the knife. <laughs> and, uh, and he witnesses to them. And so Bob said, John. I said, Bob. And he said, you didn't think you'd see me again, did you? I said, no, I, had, I didn't. He said, remember when y'all prayed for me at the rodeo? He said, God has healed my body. He said, I have no trace of cancer. He said, I've met this lady here you're talking to, and we were married a couple years ago. I thought, boy, God's in this place, you know. It, I, we, we already knew something was going to happen, so it started off that way. And then we get to go upstairs to the executive club to eat, you know, all that good food. And Mr. Hutchison starts telling me a story. I want to tell it to you real quick. As we're standing there, he says, John, he said, you know, a lot of us been to this rodeo for years. And we're Christians. But say we all did our own thing. Nobody talked about their faith. But say well, we were in an executive meeting here a few years ago. And one of the guys got brave enough to say to all the rest of us, if we're all Christians, why don't we stand up for our faith? And why don't we pray when we open the rodeos? He said, you should have seen those guys. He said, they started stammering. I don't know why. Well, I think we should. You know he said, you know, in a matter of seconds, we just unanimously said we were going to all pray. He says, now in that room, he said, are names like Clayburg, King Ranch, Zachary, one of the biggest road builders in the state of Texas in that group. Frost, Frost National Bank, one of the biggest in the country. These are very successful businessmen that, like Hobby Lobby and Chick-fil-A, they're not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. But some way in that environment, they could not talk about their faith until one man said, why don't we take this opportunity to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ in this environment that he's put us in charge of? And they voted unanimously to do it. And every committee starts that way. You say, so what? Well, we go out into the rodeo. We sit on the 50-yard line about, about two rows back. When the horses run by, they throw everything that was there before the horses got there and some of the stuff that got there after they got there, over the fence, you know, as they run around. Man is going back like the Sam Houston Coliseum. They started that national anthem. I mean, they started the, the flags coming in, you know. It's America. 20,000 people. Here comes those beautiful horses. And they ride in. And here comes 25 of them on Palomino horses carrying the American flag. First 25 were carrying the Texas flag. Next 25, people jumped up. Boy, you could see this. Tears. Beth and I were crying. Old glory coming by. They went around. They did their thing. They stopped. The man that was being honored for 25 years, the, the spokesman for the rodeo, he came out of the chute with three other of the top executives. He took off his hat and he said, Ladies and gentlemen, he said... We are blessed to live in America. And in America, we have freedom to pray. And he said, we don't have to pray, but we can pray. And he said, I'm going to pray in Jesus' name. And I, I asked you to join me. People started clapping before he started praying. He got up and he prayed the most beautiful prayer you'd ever hear. Asking God's protection to the writers, their families, all this kind of stuff. It was a, I mean, God was just all over it. And he said, Amen. And people applauded. And then the national anthem came. When the national anthem came, this old cowboy 
sang it like it was written. Can you imagine somebody singing the national anthem the way it was written? And he began to sing, you know, by a uh, bomb bursting in air, and the people started screaming and hollering. He got to another line. By the time he got through, everybody was standing, shouting, you know, going like this. You know? And I mean, revival, it just seemed like a revival was breaking out. And then we got to go behind the bucking chutes. And, and Mr. Hutchinson said, see that, that man down there? And not a bullfighter, the guy that keeps the guys from getting hurt. He told me his name. I forgot his name. said he's a world champion. He said, that guy... Every cowboy in this rodeo knows that that man is a born-again Christian and loves them with all of his heart. He has never forced his faith on any one of them, but when they're needing something spiritually, they come to that man and talk to him about Jesus Christ. Those cowboys lined up behind those bulls. There wasn't any of them drinking beer and telling dirty jokes. Some of them were crossing themselves. Some of them were kneeling. Many of them, after they've, you've seen the rodeo when they jump off. You know, they don't act like some of these NFL guys do in the end zone, you know. They get on their knees and they thank God. One of them got, a, got injured. He came back behind. He first prayed. And then he started regurgitating from his injury. And cowboys all around him. I'm telling you, folks, that is an example of a revival that breaks out in a secular world because not the preachers, but because lay people say, as for me and my house and me and my position, we're going to do what God wants us to do. And that is we're going to let the world know that Jesus lives. That is the teaching of this scripture. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. It's going and making disciples, not going to get people to join the church. And God wants you to be a disciple of his. In Acts 20, 26, Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you the counsel of God. That's exactly what he did there in San Antonio, and what we need to be doing every day of our life. Now I close. When Paul came to the end of his life, he said, I'm now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth they laid up me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to be only, but to all those that love his appearing. One day there's going to be an award ceremony in heaven. When the Lord Jesus will present, because he is the judge, he will present the award. You know what? It's fun, folks, to, to be out there waiting to see who wins when they've announced it ahead of time who the winners are. The winner, you don't have to wait to get to heaven to know if you won or lost, because the Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When the carnation day comes and the crown is placed on our head, we can take the crown off and put it at the feet of Jesus as he says, well done, my good and faithful service. Servant, whatever we do or wherever we go, we should break forth with joy when we hear someone say or sing, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. 1963, I was in Africa at the age of 22 in some of the wildest bush anywhere in the world. I had a young man with me, 21, and I had a professional guide that was 26, or 28, I believe he was, and a, and a little fellow that was from Botswana, Africa, a bushman. And we were out chasing Cape buffaloes. We'd walked all day long through the tall grass of Africa, very dangerous sport indeed. Didn't know it when I was 22, but I can tell you now it's very dangerous. And we'd walk 25 miles in a day. We went out early one morning as it was beginning to get dark. 
He says, we need to get back to the truck. It's about seven, and, seven or eight miles away. I thought he was going to say, you know, I don't, because I had no idea where it was. I knew it was 360 degrees, but I didn't know which way. And he said, we need to get back to the truck before dark. So I thought, my goodness, he tells me to go one way and my buddy to go another way and him go another way. It's going to be a long night in Africa. And about the time we were really getting nervous and said, well, what, which way are we going to go? Here's his words. He said, you just follow me. Just follow me. Whew, okay. So here we go. Just as it was getting dark, we could barely see. He had one more time. He had to gig us. He said, see that hill right there? He said, we're going to go as far as the top of that hill because we hadn't seen anything anywhere it looked like any kind of a truck. He said, we're going to go to that little hill there. If we don't see it from there, we'll just camp and spend the night out here and start again tomorrow. Man, I'm thinking, oh, dear God in heaven, let it be there. Well, we walked up on that little hill, and then he started laughing. He said, I knew it was there all the time. I said, well, I'm sure you're glad you said follow me. He said, well, that's all you've got to do. He said, whatever we do for the next 60 days, if you'll follow me and my guide, we'll get you home. That's good, that's good counsel, folks. You know what Jesus says? If you're ever going to be my disciple, just take up your cross, follow me. We're going to go celebrate heaven one day, and you're invited to go. You want God's power? Start making disciples. Start living your life to bless others rather than to bless yourself. Ask God to give you wealth so you can be a blessing to others. Ask God to give you health so that you can carry the gospel to the uttermost part of the world. Ask God to bless you with a promotion at work so you can have influence over more people and then do it to the glory of God. Let's all stand together. We're going to sing, Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. And let me tell you what we do at this time. First of all, I want you to hear me very clear, closely. And in no way do I want to persuade you to say a prayer or to make a decision that you don't mean. But if you're here today and you want, you want sincerely to know that the rest of your life, however long that is, that God will walk with you every step of the way. He'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you. We can help you see that in the scriptures. You'll make your own decision, but you'll see what God has said in his word. What we call the Connection Center is a big lobby that's located just behind the terrace that I'm pointing to now. You go out into the foyer, then turn right back into that huge room. There are people there that will give you some things to help you go home and study or will pray with you or answer questions you might have if you want to go there and if you will. There's a communication card right where you're standing. You can just take that and fill it out. Drop it in the boxes when you leave and say, I need somebody to talk to me. Maybe today's not a good day for you. Let us know. We'll contact you. We'll try to set up a time that will be good for you. But it'll be your meeting, not ours. We'll answer the questions that you want answered and we'll try to help you in a way that God wants us to help you as you would explain to us. So you're going to have an opportunity to do that. You can join the church if you need to be baptized with believer's baptism or if you just want to be born again. That's where you could go. That's where you need to start. It may end right now. You can, might get saved before you leave this campus. That'd be wonderful. But no pressure be put on you to do that. But we do pray it'll be very soon. Just as I am. You can't do it any other way, right? Let's sing this great old invitation song for our benediction.
We pray that today's message has brought you to a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us Sundays at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. at Sagemont Church in the Worship Auditorium. For more information, check us out at www.sagemontchurch.org. 